What's up, everybody, and welcome to Lights, Camera, Exploitation, your guide to exploitive cinema. This is the pod boss, TJ Bowser, and joining me as always is my doppelganger, Kangabanga from Down Under, Mr. Brody Kane. Howdy, howdy, motherfucker. And the host with the ghost himself, Scuba Steve. What up, baby? Today, we got a doozy of an episode for you today, but first, you know what time it is. It's time for your slice of life. Brody, how does it go? It all goes, Mr. Bowser, just the same as every other goddamn week. Just, uh, yeah, flat out at work. Um, yeah, just finally finished moving house, so there's a little bit less anxiety smothered on me around that scenario. Um, yeah, like I've been actually pretty boring this week. Nothing, nothing really happening down this way as much as I would like there to be. But uh, yeah, well, I watched this film, really enjoyed it. It's probably about my fourth Argento film, and I kind of wish I had actually watched it earlier. Um, it's actually, yeah, probably one of my favourites of his actually so far that I've seen. So, but yeah, I mean, Donald Pleasance fucking kills it in this film. It's crazy. But anyway, yeah, Scuba Steve, how you been, mate? I have been good, man. Um, I've just been working, you know, did a little work on my Boba Fett cosplay that I'm working on. Um, got some things painted and cut out with the EVA foam and shaped them and working on the helmet and got to get the little voice box in there to, you know, to help out with that Boba Fett sound, you know, um, and just working. That's it. Um, this is the last week of summer school. I got to watch this awesome film. It is my second Argento film that I've ever seen and it was pretty damn good. Boss man, what have you been up to? Yeah, I got a new package from Arrow Video in the day, which must be Argento Day, and that is a 4K of Argento's first film, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and it looks fantastic. Watched it a little bit today, and I just have to say that this transfer and the coloring is just truly exquisite, and I can't recommend it enough for fans of his filmography or of that film. It's, yeah, fucking A. It's 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 wonderful, and I do have a couple other pre-orders I'm waiting on, but I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull the trigger on the Cato Ninetales UHD, especially after seeing this. And interesting enough, Brody, uh, the texture on this box that you get with these limited editions is that of an old book. Mm, yeah, it's, be interesting. it's definitely different. And it's definitely cool. So speaking of Argento, let's talk about this week's film. And that is Phenomena from 1985, also known as Creepers. Jennifer is the new girl in a strange school, haunted by a deadly secret and caught up in a murderous way of terror, but Jennifer's got a few million close friends, and she's going to need every one of them. Creepers, featuring the music of Iron Maiden and Motorhead, rated R. Directed by the Italian master of horror, Dario Argento, who is also known for Four Flies on Grey Velvet from 1971, the third film in his Animal Trilogy, Suspiria in 1977, probably one of the best films ever made, Opera in 1987, and Trauma in 1993. Writers Dario Argento and Franco Farini, who also wrote together Demons in 1985, The Church in 1989, The Stendhal Syndrome in 1996, and The Card Player in 2004. Cinematographer Romano Albani, who also did the Plissioteschi film Like Rabid Dogs in 1976, Inferno in 1980, Terror Vision in 1986, The Butcher in 1998. Music by Claudio Simonetti and Goblin, who also did the theme, who also worked on films like Dawn of the Dead in 1978, Nightmare Beach in 1989, and Dracula 3D in 2012. Some additional musicians featured in the film are Simon Boswell, Andy Sexgang, Iron Maiden, and Motorhead. 
Dead. Special effects by Antonio Corridori, who also did Piranha 2, The Spawning from 1981, The Black Cat in 1989, which I believe was directed by Luigi Cozy, Circle of Fear in 1992, and Mission Impossible 3 in 2006. Producers, Dario Argento and Angelo Locano. This is the first film of Argento's that wasn't produced by his father or his brother. Costume designer, Giorgio Armani. Yes, you heard that right. Who also worked on films such as The Untouchables in 1987, The Dark Knight in 2008, Inglorious Bastards in 2009, and Elysium in 2013. Budget $3.8 million, starring the gorgeous Jennifer Conley as Jennifer Corvino, who also starred in Once Upon a Time in America in 1984, Requiem for a Dream in 2000, Hulk in 2003, and the upcoming Top Gun Maverick from 2021. Donald Pleasance, the great Donald Pleasance as Professor John McGregor, who also starred in The Black Tent in 1956, Eye of the Devil in 1966, John Carpenter's classic Halloween from 1978, and American Rickshaw, where he turns into a pigman in 1989. Daria Nicolodi as Frau Bruckner, who also starred in Deep Red from 1975, Suspiria in 1977, Paganini Horde in 1989, and Mother of Tears in 2007. Brody? I'm still yet to see that. That bad boy, it's sitting on my shelf, but I'll get around to it. And the daughter of Dario Argento, Fiora Argento, as Vera Brandt, who also starred in Demons in 1985, Trauma in 1993, and The Card Player in 2004. Federica Masriani as Sophie, who also starred in State Buoni Set Potets in 1985, Il Grande Black in 1987, Hombre di Amore in 1990, Isilio de Sempre Pia Blue in 1996, Forenzi Tassiari as Gisela Salzier, who also starred in Festa di Loria in 1985, Li Estate Stu Fernando in 1987, Runaway in 2003, and Slayo in 2016, Dalia Di Lorazzo as Headmistress, don't have a name, starred in Andy Warhol's Flesh for Frankenstein in 1973, Killer vs. Killers in 1985, Paganini in 1989, which is directed by the great Klaus Kinski. How doing this? Fuck him! another one. It's shit. And The Fifth Wheel in 2013. Patrick Bacow as Inspector Rudolph Geiger, who also starred in Enigma in 1982, The Nightwear Suspenders in 1985, Australia in 1989, and the hit classic Megashark vs. Colossus from 2015. Brody, take it away. The young Jennifer Corvino is sent to a private Swiss academy for girls where a vicious killer is on the loose, brutally murdering students. Jennifer is a gifted girl with the strange ability to communicate with insects, and Dr. McGregor in Enlists her to help locate the killer. Jennifer finds herself in a bizarre murder plot with maggots, mutants, and razor welding chimpanzee mayhem. <laughs> Can she uncover the killer's identity before becoming a victim herself? Sadly, this underrated and underappreciated gem from Argento didn't win many awards or any of that at all, but they were nominated from Fansporto in 1986 for Best Film. Boys, let's get physical. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to talk about two releases for you today. And first, let's talk about the Arrow video release from January 15th, 2018, which features a brand new 4K restoration of the film from the original camera negative, a high definition Blu-ray 1080p presentation of the full length 116 minute Italian cut of the film. The 116 minute Italian cut features approximately six minutes of footage for which the English audio does not exist. In these instances, the hybrid tracks revert to Italian audio with English subtitles. New 5.1 surround mix of the 
Italian sub soundtrack and looseless DTS HD master audio derived from the original 4-channel Dolby Stereo elements. New hybrid English Italian soundtrack and looseless DTS HD master audio 5.1 and PCM 2.0 stereo. Italian soundtrack and looseless PCM 2.0 stereo. English subtitles for the Italian soundtrack. Optional English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing. New audio commentary by the awesome Troy Howarth. Of Flies and Maggots, a new feature-length documentary including interviews with co-writer, producer, director Dario Argento, actors Fiore Argento, Davi Mariotto, Dario Nicolodi, and Ferenzo Tessiari, co-writer Franco Ferrini, cinematographer Romano Albani, production manager Angelo Giacano, spe special optical effects artist Luigi Cosi, special makeup effects artist Sergio Savetti, and composers Claudio Simonetti and Simon Boswell. Original Italian English theatrical trailers, Jennifer, a music video directed by Dario Argento, rare Japanese vintage press book, reversible sleeve featuring original and newly commissioned artwork by Candice Tripp, and that release is Region B Locked and currently on Arrow Films for 8 euros. Brody, talk about the Synapse release. Three different cuts of Phenomena, all available in high definition for the first time ever in one collector's edition package. Audio commentary track on Phenomena, 110 version, well, 110 minute version, from Argento, scholar and author Derek Botalejo, and film historian, journalist and radio slash television commentator David Del Vale. Two completely different sound mix options on Phenomena on the 110 minute version, including the original 2.0 stereo mix along with a rare alternate mix containing different sound effects and music cues. English slash Italian hybrid audio and complete Italian audio options for Phenomena on the 116 minute version. Dario Argento's World of Horror, a documentary, a fascinating look at the early films of director Dario Argento, including Phenomena, Suspiria, Demons, Dawn of the Dead, Inferno, and many more, containing candid interviews and awesome behind-the-scenes footage. Dario Argento's World of Horror gives us a look into the mind of Italy's master of horror and is an essential viewing experience for Argento fans. Interview with Andy Sex Gang, Phenomena International Theatrical Trailer, Creepers, a US theatrical trailer and radio spots, optional English subtitles for the deaf and hard of hearing on Phenomena on the 110 version, 110 minute version and Creepers version, multiple optional subtitle selections on Phenomena on the 116 minute version, including one for just the foreign English language segments of the hybrid version, complete English subtitles for the entire feature film, and complete English subtitles for the Italian version of the film. It's region A locked and is currently on Synapse Films for $39.95 or Amazon for $27.99. Okay, so if you guys are interested, head on over to any of those two distributors and pick those up now. So it's time for a new segment on the show because this film has multiple versions. So boys, let's cut it up. So when I uh, watched this film today, I watched the 110-minute version, which would have been the international version, which would be what Argento cut for international distribution and in everywhere else but America. So when this film was originally made, it was sent to America and New Line Cinema picked it up. And Jack Shoulder is the one who is responsible for editing out roughly around 30 minutes for the Creepers version of the film. So if you watched the Creepers version back in the day and hated the film, I urge you to go back and watch the Phenomena version, either the 110-minute version or the 116-minute hybrid version. Both films are delightful and so much better than the Creepers version, and we're about to tell you why. 
So to start things off, here are some of the major differences between creepers and phenomena. Starting at a minute 42 to two minutes and 41, the credits of the US version are in English. The credits of the uncut version are in Italian. Furthermore, the images of the US version are mirrored and the movie title is Creepers. So from six minutes 59 till 10 minutes and six seconds, Professor McGregor's chimp, uh, chimp no longer is in front of the door. Then he leaves. A longer conversation between the professor and the cop is missing. McGregor stands talking until Inspector Geiger interrupts him. The professor reminds Geiger that he came to McGregor when he didn't know what to do in the murder case. Inga comes in with a scalpel in her hand. The professor takes it away and demonstrates its edge on a magazine. He tells her once again that she's not allowed to take it. The chimp arrives with the professor's medicine. Then he starts explaining the separation of the group of insects and how, based on the different groups, the exact time of death of a dead body can be determined. In the meantime, he uncovers a glass case with a half-decayed head cluttered with maggots and larvae. He explains the person with dead for eight months and 15 days. The shot when Geiger isolates the exact date is also in the US version. This equates to roughly three minutes and a seven second difference. That's a lot. That's a lot going on there. And cut. you'd think the removal of such an important scene like that, especially showing the purpose of the Geiger character or the, well, the, profe- the, the professor character, sorry, not the Geiger character, McGregor character. Uh, it's just, it's, it just blows my mind how you can just take out so much exposition that's necessary. And that's when we get, that's when we're first introduced to him, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you got to have all that there to explain a bit of, I mean, actually to get familiar with that character in a sense too. Mm-hmm. He basically sets up the entire rest of the film. So, yeah, it's a big no-no for me. Ready? So, basically at the 10 minute and 20 second mark, the US version stops when Inspector Geiger reads his notes to continue with the scene missing beforehand for some reason. Now, the scene is already shown before from the point when Ingi, is it Ingi? Inga. When Inga goes to the professor with the scalpel, the scene ends exactly the cut before when McGregor draws attention to the additional 15 days, which is basically over a minute. Fuck. Um, at the 16 minute 33 second mark to the 17 minute 47 second mark in the uncut version the two of them talk a little longer while lying in bed then Jennifer says that her mother ran off with her lover on Christmas day the telephone rang and her mother answered it was her lover and after the conversation she left the house to never to return again at that time Jennifer was 8 years old and that's another just over a minute pretty now, much now that's not necessarily necessary uh, exposition but it definitely adds to the the character of Jennifer. So removing something like that kind of doesn't allow her to be as troubled as she needs to be for that role. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and just to reiterate, when we say uh, cut the US version, that would be the creepers. And when we say uncut, that is phenomena. Just to reiterate that. Steve? All right. So at the 19 minute, 44 second mark to the 20 minute, 55 second mark, while the young girl is chased, there's a missing panning shot over the stairs. In the background, you can hear flash of the blade by Iron Maiden. The girl slowly moves along and lights a candle. She goes to another room. A flashlight shines in her eyes, so she starts to scream and drops the candle. The murderer puts the spear-like weapons parts together while the girl runs away. Then the movie cuts to the two girls' room. The camera pans from the TV to Sophie. When Jennifer is shown lying in her bed, the US version continues. And that's about a, a minute, 10 seconds. So then at the 31 minute mark, 31 minute, 41 second to 32 minutes, 42 seconds, when Jennifer repeats McGregor's words, which are supposed to help her wake up while sleepwalking in 
the U.S. version stops. Then she says she does not need this because she has not had an attack in a long time. She counts several reasons why she was sleepwalking that night. After that, McGregor talks about the warm wind and its effects on nature, insects, and how it can drive some people insane. Now, that comes into play later in the film and is mentioned at least two other times other than this. So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so removing that made, I yeah. mean, it makes absolutely no sense. Because uh, I'm pretty sure, like, during uh, the, the like the body pond scene, the Daria Nicolodi character definitely mentions the wind. Yeah, so. Uh, so, from the 32 minute and 46 second part to the 35 minute part, the long sequence of the doctor performing the EEG on Jennifer is missing on the US version. So, the EEG is gone. The principal is angry that Jennifer left the boarding school at night. Jennifer defends herself by claiming that it's not only happen because of her sleepwalking that the EEG will not be able to find the cause as well the doctor shares his concerns that it might develop to something serious like schizophrenia which it does Jennifer gets angry and wants to get up but then she then agrees to prove that she is not insane while the EEG is recorded Jennifer's having short flashbacks and the EEG shows some abnormalities then she jumps up the principal says she seems to have epilepsy after all or she might be using drugs then Jennifer takes her stuff and angrily says that she is neither insane schizophrenic nor does she have epilepsy or is using drugs. She then leaves the room. Then we see the hall of the boarding school. Sophie is on the phone while another student is knocking on the window. The camera pans to Jennifer standing in another phone booth when she starts talking in the US version sets in again. And that equates to around 2 minutes and 15 seconds. So at the 46 minute and 40 minute mark to the 47 minute mark, after Jennifer has returned to the boarding school in the US version stops. In the uncut version, the scene continues and a light is switched on in the first floor. Then we hear Jennifer scream and then the lights in the other floors are switched on as well. Scene change, Jennifer's sitting in the mountain railway and writes a letter to her father. You, got, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, that rail car thing that's bringing her up? She she says that then the police were at the boarding school and that the principal gave the officers the advice not to believe Jennifer because she is insane. Jennifer is scared and that she cannot talk to anybody about what she saw. Then we see the boarding school again in the beginning of a shot of Jennifer standing in her room holding a glove. She The glove she found is missing too. And that equates to 43 seconds. Brody? So at the 49 minute and 34 seconds, mark to 50 minutes and 22 second mark we have after jennifer has claimed that a firefly had led her to the glove one can see a close-up of the bees in the u.s version the uncut version contains a long monologue jennifer says that the police had been at the school and that she had not mentioned the glove because she did not want to be considered insane mcgregor calms jennifer down and asks her to tell him about it hesitantly jennifer starts to tell here the u.s version sets in again after that we have at the hour hour mark 16 minutes and two seconds to an hour 17 minutes and six seconds mark the entire scene in the mental hospital has been removed the inspector talks to a doctor in the elevator the doctor assures that all patients get tranquilized and that no one could escape Geiger replies he was interested in the opposite, that he didn't care about the people getting out, but about people coming in. They leave the elevator. While walking in the hallway, the doctor explains someone had come to the hospital voluntarily 15 years ago. They stop in front of a cell door. The man in the cell moves his head to the light. Geiger and the doc looks at him through the bars, and the man makes some noise. See, now, this is probably one of the cuts that I can understand because it really doesn't add anything. It's just kind of extra. But it's a classic Argento 
exposition scene. So I totally like see where it fits into the overall story. But again, it is also totally can be left out and not really change things either. So yeah, I didn't I didn't really understand that that scene in the movie because I mean, it really didn't add anything to yeah. the story. I mean, it fits in there. It's just not yeah. necessary. Necessary. Yeah. 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 True that. So the at the one. Is, well, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Steve. Yeah. So basically, I mean, when you're filming a film like that, though, a minute is still a long time for a scene to play out. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's even though, yeah, it's not really worth mentioning about. I mean, it's still, you know, kind of cool to actually talk about these minute long. And that's what I said to TJ. I think even though some of them might not make any sense, we don't have to fucking mention them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's still cool to actually talk about it because a minute, like I said, is a long time to actually film something. And it's an extra bit of horror too, because that the way it's shot, it's kind of made to be the man it's portrayed to be scary. So whenever he kind of does that groaning noise thing, it's kind of meant to scare you a little bit. So and it did just right. it was just followed up by long monologue scenes. And I, and I guess we probably will should mention this later. But uh, Jennifer talks about not being insane and not wanting to uh, admit that she's schizophrenic or anything, and then calls her dad, says she's not says she's not schizophrenic. Then in a letter, a letter later, admits that she's that she she, she actually thinks she is. Uh, <laughs> Just, I, I just love the writing of this movie. I just think it's, it's, it's great. Take it away, Steve. <laughs> All right. So at the one hour, 21 minute, 23 second to the one hour, 21 minute, 27 second mark in the uncut version, the last frames of Mrs. Bruckner leaving is missing. <laughs> Furthermore, at the beginning of the following scene, Jennifer and Mrs. Bruckner on their way to the house are missing. The U.S. version. Now the before removed scene with Geiger and the doc in the mental hospital. Only the first three seconds in the elevator are missing but the song locomotive by motor motorhead is also missing so that's about 50 seconds um and then at the one hour 24 minute 58 second mark to the one hour 25 minute 24 second mark the u.s version contains an alternate shot slash close-up of jennifer when mrs bruckner doesn't want to let go of her she says to jennifer she better do as she'd been told because she was the only one who was calling the shots in the uncut version jennifer replies she was wasn't sick. Mrs. Bruckner tells her those pills were against fever and that she had to take them if she said so. Jennifer yells at Mrs. Bruckner to let her loose. The versions are in sync again when Jennifer removes her arm. So it's about 23 seconds. Okay, so that is just some of the additional or missing scenes that are included in Phenomena that are not seen in the Creepers version of the film. Those are the ones that we thought were most important or most interesting. So we wanted to mention them here, especially for this new segment. So if you want to go check that out, again, we heavily recommend the 110 or 116 minute version of this film over the Creepers version. So additional information, Brody, take it away. In the documentary of the Phenomena Arrow release, Argento states, Phenomena is one of the most important films of my career as a director for an endless number of reasons. It all began when I was on holiday with my mother in Giannotti Island. One day we were listening to the radio. There was no TV signal there, so we had to listen to the radio. While we we were there listening it was the Monte Carlo and the news was on they were talking about a murder to which I think it was in France and the police had discovered the identity of the killer by analyzing insects found in the room where the murder had been committed so I found it really interesting that the insect was the detective so I went to France to meet this entomologist his name was Leclerc he explained everything that might happen when a crime is committed in a room take for example an empty room where there is no corpse if you find a certain kind of insect in this room that died for no obvious reason, that means the gun has been fired in the room. The gun's deflagration would have killed them. He explained a lot of things about insects and their use for forensic 
forensic entomology, which is applied to police investigations. Executive producer Angelo Lacono states, I think I was in Mexico shooting a film. Dario called me and he said, come back. We're starting a new film. I got back and saw the screenplay was ready. He made me read it in a rush and we started setting everything up. How did it start? Well, just like any other film, I believe his father, who was also a producer, went to the distribution company with him to get the approval. But something happened during the shooting of the film. Dario and his father were barely talking to each other. It was a very difficult time and I decided to step in as a friend, help Dario reconcile with both his father and brother Claudio and become the producer myself. I remember we were filming in Switzerland. I used to call his father in the evenings to brief him on all we had done that day because he worried and also very sick, to which he passed away a very short time after. And that means the Swiss, we're hoping you pull through again. Yes. So I found this one really interesting because amongst the documentary, they threw in this uh, really old clip from uh, 1984 and it it was basically Argento sitting at this film studio. So, and, and he talks about the film equipment that, it, and it even shows you all the film equipment that he's loading on trucks and mm-hmm. taking to the shoot. So Argento states, I'm at the Arcoju warehouse. This is where we get new material for our films, like the mile-long leads, cables, thousands of lamps, projectors, all our dollies that are big, small, medium, electric dolly, projectors, three Panaflex cameras, and their soft lenses. You don't even know if they are American or Japanese. (laughs) It's a mystery. Argento proceeds to go on to say, I'm here because tomorrow my film should start. I mean, my film is starting tomorrow in Zurich. 450 special effects will be used. I feel, I don't know, I'd love to feel happy, but instead I feel very sad and I wonder if I'll be able to make it. It, Mainly because he plans these things and he was definitely of the mind, we do this all on camera, nothing after the fact. It all happens in frame. So having a set special effects like 450 and especially dealing with insects, yeah, I can see why he would feel like that. And a lot of personal... um issues between him and his family as well oh, okay. going on at that time. So, so speak, yeah, Speaking yeah. of the, the special effects, um, Fiori Argento discusses the story of her beheading scene, mm. which is like at the beginning, so great. They created a plaster cast of my head and created three identical heads, which were very <laughs> convincing and scared me because they were me. So when after the glass is broken in her death scene, the head falls into the waterfall and ends up in the river. It was impossible to recover the heads. So they kept cru- cruising down the river and the following day, the local newspapers reported that the discovery of the remains of a dead girl were found. Then the production had to get in touch with the authorities and let them know that they were just plaster casts. <laughs> hey, like, uh, that's crazy. It's not included in the notes here, but did you know that this film inspired the 1995 point and click game, The Clock Tower, in which you are chased by a man with giant scissors? Oh, I did not know that. I've never yes. even heard of that. Yep. Have you played it? I've not played it, but I've watched people play it. It's a PC game. Yeah, right. Yep. You want one to look at, I reckon. Absolutely. And uh, to elaborate more on the making of Fjord's head, uh, special effects and makeup guru Sergio Stivaletti. How do you say that? Stivaletti. Sergio Stivaletti states, so I created many heads since the scene couldn't be repeated over and over again, unlike a scene shot in a studio or theater. We were going to lose each head. I created the heads to be very convincing (laughs) that you don't even see much in the film, but 
What you mainly see in the film is what happens to the head afterwards. It's one of those scenes that I'm most proud of today. To create this head, I had to go back to my medical studies to which I had studied on what happens to corpses over time. The sapnification followed by the spawning of maggots. These aspects came across well in the film since the head was being studied by an entomologist who, through the maggots still living in the head, was able to deduce a lot of information like the date of the beheading. Everything needs to be scientific and realistic as possible. So I took my medicine books and bearing in mind that it was going to be used for a film, it had to be spectacular. I, I think that's pretty cool that, you know, they actually went and looked at these medical books to get reference for what happens to the human body when it decays. One of uh, Wes Anderson's rules for filmmaking is to research your topics. And if you have something or a theme in your film, you make sure you research it to its fullest extent. This is a plain example of another one of the masters of the craft doing that to the fullest extent on something that, you know, you can sit here and you can go, oh, the insect aspect of this film is fucking weird. But yeah, but like uh, Donald Pleasant's character said, it's two, two of the greatest detectives on earth. Well, the, the world's never known. Well, the unknown, you know? And it's, yeah. it's, it's the fly because through the fly you solve this riddle so and you know that's that's what always kind of got me about like zombie flicks you know you have regardless of if they're up and walking around they, there should be flies and yeah. you know all different kinds of insects like and i don't think i've ever seen a, a flick like that where you know there's zombies and there's like flies all over and you know which would be cool to see because, you know, it would make for the realism. Speaking of flies, we have notes about the flies, don't we, Brody? Uh, yes, they will be coming up shortly. Okay. Steve? So Dario talks about working with the chimpanzee on film. We worked quite well with the chimpanzee. I've always worked well with animals in my films, from insects to dogs, cats, mice. The chimpanzee was trained, even though one can't really say a wild animal was trained. He'd been trained around people so that he wouldn't become violent. But oddly enough, between him and me, we had some kind of connection. We understood each other. Chimpanzees understand what what you tell them more or less in their own way he understands so when we showed him the scenes he followed us i showed them to him four times until he understood that he had to do the same thing one day though there was a little incident he had to get on a lift and go on the floor above together with Jennifer Connolly. She was holding his hand. The lift jolted. The chimpanzee got scared and bit Jennifer's hand. From then on, she didn't want to work with him anymore. So for some scenes, we started to use a double. And after a while, they made up and he seemed to have forgotten what had happened. I just want to elaborate on that a little bit more. And I didn't add these to the notes. Probably should have. That little chimpanzee was a motherfucker on set. He literally, for one of the shoots, he pissed off into the forest. Like he literally fucked off and then the trainer was like, oh, that's okay. He'll come back when he's hungry. It was like three fucking days later and the chimpanzee was like, come back like a, like it was like moaning and shit. And then they gave it food and then it was all good after that. So, yeah. I think in the uh, commentary, Troy Howarth mentions that in the final scene after they embrace, the monkey freaked out again on Jennifer, and she was scared to film that because of the earlier incident with the hand biting. And I guess the monkey actually sent her to the hospital that time. So yeah, but you know that that I mean that monkey did great. Like yeah, I, dude. Like you're like hey, there's a monkey in this film. You're like what the fuck? Yeah. And they're like oh, it works. <laughs> it was like it was like a Disney horror flick. You know, she yeah. talked to bugs, and there was an animal sidekick. Like but yeah, I mean like there were some scenes and I'm when. Like, Wow. McGregor's getting killed. You want to help that monkey? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. You're oh, like, yeah. come on, monkey, get in there. <laughs> Ready? Ooh, I like this one. So Luigi Cozy talks about the set designer. So one day the set designer, Umberto Tuco, sorry, let me say that again. 
So one day, the set designer, Umberto Turco, took Dario together with me, and I think it was Michael Sovi, who was the assistant director at the time. We spent the whole afternoon driving around the countryside of Rome with him showing us houses of a style that was so far removed from what we were looking for. I thought so, and Dario did too. Considering the scene we had to shoot, Dario started to get annoyed because he had a lot of urgent things to do in the office. Instead, he had taken him to see all these houses. What the set designer usually does is send his assistants to scout for locations, or they go with him. Then after finding one or two good places, he then shows them to the director. However, that time they had spent all day going around, Dario was so annoyed and said, that's it, I'm sick of this. Let's go back to the office. Back at the office, he had a big argument with the set designer. (laughs) Dario accused him of not understanding the essence of the film and the locations. The set designer got really upset by what he had said and started shouting, I've worked with this and that director and I've never had a problem like this. Directors always agree with me. They appreciate me. And then he said, I'm a set designer with balls. Look. And then pulled his pants down and put his balls on the table. I remember Dario was shocked and so was Angelo, Giacomo and I. It was absolutely not called for. Wow. (laughs) Holy shit. Could you imagine being in that meeting where just... Can we talk about that car for a second? How much fucking royalty, horror royalty was in that fucking car? Michelle Sovi, Luigi Cozzi, Dario Argento, and Umberto Turco in a fucking car driving around. That is like Italian horror's finest. Like, that is just rad. And then for all to end with a dude whipping out his nutsack and saying, I do have balls. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful story. Wonderful. (laughs) All right. So Luigi talks about the special effects throughout the film. The special effects in this film were separated into different different groups that were the effects of live insects which were shot in different ways for instance the scene with the flies covering the windows of the school where, where jennifer summons them it was one of, it was i was the one who shot that at the de Pauli soundstage first dario shot the scene at marymount with the girls dealing with close-ups long shots and all that then i shot the scenes from the girls point of view showing what they were seeing so essentially we took the same kind of windows you see at the mary marymount school and we put them on a fake wall at the de Pauli soundstage. You'd never notice it watching the film, but the windows had double glazing. It was like a transparent box because of the glass on both sides and a wall plug that would open at the top. From this plug, we'd slowly drop in the live flies, and if we locked the plug, the flies would be trapped inside between the two sheets of glass with no way out. So it looked as if the flies kept swarming around the window on purpose as if Jennifer Connelly had summoned them. The illusion was perfect because when the two scenes were shot in different places, they were edited together and the trick worked like a charm. Fucking A. Wonderful scene. Such a simple and effective idea, isn't it? Yes. So Dario elaborates on the Deadpool scene with Jennifer Connolly. For the scene with the huge Deadpool, we built a pool inside a soundstage and the pool was filled with human skin, swill, uh, a huge number of worms and larvae. It was quite a horrific sight. It was really terrifying, so much so that Jennifer Connolly refused to go in it. So I proceeded to tell her that I understood and that I would have felt the same if I'd been asked to go into it myself. But this scene was really important for the film, so in the end, we managed to convince her. With an act of courage, she jumped in and we started shooting everything we needed. This makes the poltergeist pull scene look like baby shit. It's just... (laughs) I could literally smell and taste that fucking I said the exact same. 
same thing. I was like, oh, like all I could think of watching that scene was that had to smell horrific. And you would not like when she reached up and that pipe broke and that fresh water started hitting her. I thought to myself that had to be like the best like feeling ever to just get all that shit off of you. Brody, what smells worse? The Razorback Kangaroo Dog Food Station or the Dead Body Pond? Oh, Rotten kangaroo of a rotten human. Pick your poison. Rotten is rotten. Sergio Stivaletti talks about the design of the mutant boy. At the time, I was studying medicine and I learned about Patau's syndrome in a book about genetics. It really left an impression on me, so I suggested it to Dario. There was this monster character he hadn't quite figured out yet, so Dario agreed right away, perhaps because he was particularly impressed to the point where I was almost certain he'd hired. That design design for that kid was so i've read in places that the kid's face wasn't born like that that it was messed up after he was put in a mental institution and and it it was an attempted rape attempt so they got like it was facial disfigurement from that that's an interesting idea yeah because they never talk about it in the uh, documentary they don't but every like i I seen it in a couple places that that's why his face is messed up don't but like you yeah. said, it's not mentioned in the film, so I don't know where they got that from. No, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't. It just isn't true. It just it, that's something that's said out there that that's why it's like that. Yeah. Uh, Argento talks about his love for heavy metal music. So my relationship with heavy metal stems from my love of that music. I know it well and love it. I'd been to concerts in Rome before shooting the film, and it's the kind of music that stimulates your nervous system. Heavy metal music was in fashion and has this strong energy. In some scenes, it gave the film a push a beautiful and very interesting thrill especially as i played it really loud there was only aggressive music and then there would be the actor of the view and steve finish us off argento on how well the film was received upon its release the film was well received as i recall i remember going to the premiere in rome hoping it would go well and it did it was one of my most successful films even when they changed the title in the u.s to creepers it was still successful and almost everywhere in the world. Okay, boys, let's talk about it! So, Brody, favorite performance of the film? Well, I nearly said the fucking chimpanzee, but no, no. I'm going to have to go with Donald Pleasant's character, uh, Professor McGregor. Um, Actually, isn't Professor McGregor meant to be a Scottish person in this film? Yeah, he moved there and then had an accident and stayed there. True. So, that is the biggest pommy accent I've ever heard on a Scottish man. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, that was the one thing that actually sort of put me off a little bit, the way that Pleasance was trying to turn all Scottish with his accent but you know i mean he's he honestly feels like a mysterious um character and he has these hidden layers about him uh, that i find that but that that's what makes him this unique character um i think well you, you think you've got him figured out but it's never the case i find um and i mean it's donald pleasance of course like you're going to get a top-notch performance from this guy nine times out of ten in any film. So um, also with his character in this, you can actually separate him for the infamous Dr. Loomis that everyone knows him for. But yeah, no, I really liked his character throughout the film and the way his dialogue is written, collaborating with Jennifer Connelly. I think his monologue in this film and his dialogue is more, is much more scientific and he sounds more intelligent, where in the other films he seems more like a raving lunatic. Just my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, he feels like a more uh, uh, grounded, character that captures that realism of his job. I mean, he's obviously put a lot of time and effort into study uh, uh, his 
job. So, you know, I think Donald Pleasance for me in this film is fantastic. So I'm going to go with what your original answer was, and I'm going with the chimp. That chimp was amazing in the film. That chimp would be my sidekick in real life if I could have him as my sidekick, because I know <laughs> my ass would be protected. That chimp, I mean, he, he just, I mean, he was very protective, you know, and that scene where he's just, you know, trying to get in the house to stop him from getting murdered. Um, you see that animal instinct in there trying to get to, you know, to save the person that he knows, you know, essentially takes care of him, you know, his father per se, you know what I mean? And the way he just comes in and saves the day at the end, hands down, the chimp is my favorite. <laughs> So for me, it would have to be Daria Nicolodi as Frau Bruckner with a special mention to Jennifer Conley. I think that Frau Bruckner's care, the character of Frau Bruckner is just absolutely intense. She is just stark raving mad by the end of this film, screaming and yelling full on uh, Pamela Voorhees almost, even with that head decapitation at the end. And she's just full, just nuts. And I love it. And I love the ruthless aggression she shows when she uh, tries to knock out Jennifer Conley and just I just love it I love Daria Nicolodi as an actress and this the character in this film just stands out and I love the raw emotion that Jennifer Conley shows and just her body movement and as well as her facial expressions and some of the more impactful scenes uh, a lot of this film like a lot of Argento films there's a lot of long sequences of people walking with heavy reliance on the music and the actor to portray things and I think that Jennifer Conley for being so young and this being one of her first films does a fantastic job and you know I had her confused i had her confused with uh because I, I you know i told she looked very familiar but i had her confused with gene marsh from return to oz oh, okay. she, they have very very similar facial features and then that scene where you know she she was on top of uh, jennifer connelly mm -hmm. they, they look exactly the same that's why i thought when you know when we we're talking in the chat that's i, I was confused mm. but completely different actress but very similar facial features. yeah uh, for those of you who don't know dario was married to dario and she is the mother of fiora and asia are Argento, and she is in a lot of Dario's films. She's said to be the muse of Mr. Argento. So, favorite set piece, Brody? Well, this was a very tough one because I really like the setting locations for this film. Um, you get that beautiful exterior shots of like the mountain range of the Swiss Alps and that. Not to mention the old uh, cabins up on the hills. They look fucking fantastic. But um, yeah, the the one that probably really stands out for me the most is the killer's entire house. Uh, whether it be that incredibly the new house. Uh, at the end? Yeah, the new okay. house. Yeah, with the Deadpool. Like, yeah, you got that incredibly lit scene of the boys' bedroom to reveal a fucking creepy mannequin doll. Um, but then, you know, to the concrete structured basement where the victims end up in a rotting Deadpool. That's fucking pretty gnarly. But yeah, that overall structure of that house is very dark, gothic, um, and it's extremely lit well. I mean, yeah, to me, yeah, that's- Classic that's Argento. Absolutely. And that use of blue that he has in this fucking house, like shining in through the windows at night. That's fucking glorious. And he doesn't go over the top with it either. It's just nice, smooth, and sets the tone for the film. Steven? I'm going to have to go with the Deadpool. I mean, how can you not go with the Deadpool as your favorite set? So you totally it like was, that basement? It, that that whole yeah. basement, you know, and the, the, the detective was chained up against the wall. And you know that if, you know, he wouldn't have gotten loose, he was going to end up in that fucking Deadpool. Yeah. You know, so just the, the, the way that the Deadpool looked with all the bugs and the flesh and the bones and the body parts that were floating in there that really stuck with me here's a question for you do you reckon the cop actually ended up in the deadpool because we don't know what happens to him in the end i think he survives You're, you reckon he survives 
Or Daria Nicolodi kills him. Yes. She, I, I think she had to. Oh, no, she says she kills him at the end, doesn't she? Does she? Isn't that one of the names she mentions? Because we'll have this conversation later because Brody pre-show, Brody and I pre-show had a, a discussion of who exactly killed who. And Matt will we'll have that conversation here in a little bit. But uh, yeah. yeah, I think she killed Geiger. It makes sense. Yeah. And you have. Uh, why didn't I get you before? I killed an inspector and your professor friend. To protect him. No. I'm gonna kill you! For my favorite set piece, I would have to agree with you guys, you know. Uh, I'd love to be able to pick something different, but I will mention that the uh, house at the beginning where they originally lived and then moved from, I think, is awesome. I definitely got, like, I don't even know, like... There's a movie called Shredder that is like a late 90s low budget slasher film. And that has a house that's similar in like theme to this. I don't know. It's just something like it's I just the way the architecture of that house and the way it's filmed and stuff. It's just really creepy It's because it's so isolated. It's just in the middle of nowhere. And I think that that helps to helps for that location to stick out for me. But then again, the house at the end with her having the entire place rigged because she's like, well, the first place didn't work out. So this is going to be our forever place with my boy. So she really has this place rigged up with the windows that close down and uh, the kind of the whole basement area and, and stuff and then a whole a whole hallway just for her son to like play around in and stuff that's and it's weird it's kind of like in between the, the the living area of the house and then the basement area it's again Argento's really good at like creating this nightmare feel because the interiors of these set pieces don't necessarily match the exterior and that's also something prevalent in the Suspiria film where you can see the exterior of the uh, the dancing school but it definitely doesn't match up to the interior of it. Can we so, talk about that little crawl cave? Right. How fucking long that telephone cord was. That was like the longest <laughs> telephone cord in the history of fucking telephone. Cords. You can look at that as like a Alice in Wonderland going down the rabbit hole type thing. Yeah. 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 Homeboy's got layers on themes. So, favorite scene slash shot. So, yeah, sorry. Basically, from the moment Jennifer enters the killer's house to basically the monkey slicing <laughs> off the killer's face with a knife, I mean, like I said before, the interior and exterior shots, um, are lit extremely well and it, it definitely helps craft that yellow use of that one color which i also mm-hmm. mentioned but that but i might also add that this is one of the most batshit crazy endings i've ever fucking seen hands down and it's what else that's in between that definitely amps this film up to 11 and i will discuss that in a moment for our next question fucking a steve i'm gonna have to go with uh the scene on the boat at the end when those flies come down and just start fucking that kid up that i mean you you i mean you see that cloud (laughs) of of flies just coming to help and you know coming to her rescue and they just start tearing his flesh away at his face and you know like i said last time i love revenge i love it when the 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 they they just get their revenge and you know it it was done very well the effects that were done on that scene were fucking amazing so that that's that was my favorite scene with with an honorable mention to the chimpanzee coming in fucking saving the day too. So scenes that stick out to me, uh, cinematography wise, especially would be the sleepwalking sequences, especially going into the sleepwalking sequences with the white room and the hallway and stuff. Super yeah. symbolic, but also really visually pleasing. And again, it can be attributed to the way that Argento frames his shots and the way that he edits his shots together. It's just such a fluid way and everything just works so well that only Argento could do it. And I think that that, whenever I think of this film, I always think of those white hallway shots and it's 
it's even featured on some international artwork uh prevalently is those is those shots so yeah i'd definitely say that those shots of the white room nice can i can i just say uh with uh we're talking well steve was talking about the old swarm of flies yeah there was something else i've got to mention in my notes that uh after luigi cozy uh had finished up shooting pretty much the the rest of the film they had all these flies and they're like what are we going to do with them so he's like oh do whatever you want with them so they yes. got to the top of the building <laughs> fucking let them all out and it was literally like that swarm you see <laughs> in the film but then because it, it was so cold some of them like the majority of them only flew up in the air <laughs> and fell back down to the next building across and everyone on the street was like, what the fuck is going on up there? The whole building was black, just covered in flies everywhere. It was fucking nuts. Fucking A. This movie's equally entertaining behind the scenes as it is in front of the cam. So are we on favorite effect and death? Favorite effect and or death. Brody? Well, 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 well. Um, A swarm of flies eating a mutant kid's face off. Uh, To him, being burned alive is one of the coolest death scenes I've ever seen. Um, I didn't think flies could be so effective for a scene like this, especially as they tear his face to fucking pieces, but it's brutal and fucking badass. And, as um, to quote and, Donald Pleasance, not just a fly, flesh eaters. Flesh eaters. <laughs> yeah, he was a little fucker anyway, so. Yeah. But um, honorable mention to Jennifer's dad's fucking head getting sliced off. I mean, like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? <laughs> Caught me off guard. Something fierce. Um, but yeah, that's my pick. <laughs> Steve, I, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna go with with the uh, the head chop there at the end because like Brody said, totally off guard, mm-hmm. didn't expect it. You know, you think okay, the movie's over because you expect the detective, you know, beat the shit out of you know her and that she's you know dead because she looked dead, you know, when he was there banging mm-hmm. her face with those cuffs. So he's running down and then boom, headless. Yeah, like that. It just caught me. I was I was laying in bed watching. I was like, oh shit! Like it, it caught me by total surprise. And I I have to say that was my favorite effect slash death. It was done well. And the surprise aspect of it, you know, it, it just, it made it awesome. So I love, I want to say it's Sophie's death where she gets her head slammed into a fucking window and then the, the, uh, the extendo knife shoved through her mouth as she's screaming. I think that's just such an Argento kill. And again, the use of the glass and the face, it's just, oh, it's so wonderfully done. And then the monkey with the straight razor at the end, just going all out on Daria Nicolosi face just making a beautiful woman just mangled just oh just so well done those are my picks so uh let's talk about our thoughts on story uh, we'll kind of break it down so brody the intro was the boy uh the fiora argento was the boy when you saw i want to say he was the one attached to the wall because mom was gone yes. so they move yes. after he breaks out and realizes that they can't be there anymore so she moves him to this more safe house where she can lock it down when she's gone so he can roam freely inside the house so mcgregor geiger are done by Daria and everybody else that we see like the girls that are being killed are the boy because as she says I had to protect my little boy this is a very much like a Pam Voorhees type situation but on a whole nother level where he's actually killing people and it's not yeah kill for mommy type situation so and that and and that would explain the actual telescopic rod with the knife on it I mean because him being 
so yeah, fucking so small. Yes. You can just, yeah. So that's where I was getting a little bit confused because I was like, at the start of the film, you see the change rip off the wall. Only deaths then- that were there to cover up the the other murders were her. Yes. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Now that makes a makes lot sense. more yeah. sense. So that kind of translates into our thoughts on story because this fucking thing is layered thickly and everything may seem weird when you go, hey, so this movie's about, but it just all works. Brody? Yeah, no. Um, it was an interesting idea, especially that, you know, I didn't know that forensics sometimes use like insects to solve murder scenes. And, mm-hmm. But I think that Argento, like, you know, he's created his, well, he's created a fantastic film for a start. And it's this idea that he's taken and made it his own. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit hesitant um, with the idea of Jennifer being able to respond with the insects and bugs and all that shit. But, you know, by the, by the time the credits start the role, you definitely understand the film and, it all fits into our place. Yeah, and it it works. It works, and that's the main thing about this film. I mean, Argento really does have this film laid with so much going on, but, yeah, like I said, it just all makes sense. It's a weird, weird thing. So, like I said earlier, I love this movie. It's great. It's a great movie. But the... F- for me, the the way I see this film, it's a very dark Disney princess kind of story. You know what I mean? Yes. She talks She talks to animals. By the end of the movie, she has an animal sidekick, which is the chimpanzee. Which you see, I, we're, we're drawing comparisons to uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And then, you know, the, the mother and the son aspect of it, very Friday the 13th-ish, kind of, not really. Um, you know, you have the disfigured boy, but like you said, she's protecting he's already doing the killing she knows he's already you know a a murderer so it's not really you know like pam where pam went crazy because her son died this bitch is just crazy because she's crazy yeah you know um i thought it worked very well um the story was it it, it, at the beginning i was like okay she talks to fucking bugs yeah what what is what is that you know and you you see her progression talking with these animals and then it just kind of makes more sense for me when she got on the bus it was whenever I was like, okay, I can see, I can see yeah. how this is working now. It's more of like a em- empathic kind of way that yes. she talks with these animals. It's not like they're sitting there and you know telling her. Not Doctor Doolittle. That it's yeah. more of a feel, you know, and so that makes more sense than the way the movie's actually described, you know, with her talking to to bugs. So it was it was very well done. Um, and I think the fact that they didn't make it to where she's like, you know, having conversations with yeah. the animals, you know, it, it was just more of like a feeling type thing. Um, does. It was just, it's a great movie. And I, I first, never seen it. It was my first time. I've never even seen the, the US version. I remember seeing it on shelves at the video store back in the day. Yeah, cover's amazing. Watched it. Um, but I suggest this film to anybody who has never seen it. The, at least, like TJ said, the 110 minute version or the 116 if you can get it um, because it's a very well written story. Absolutely. Uh, compared to other Argento works, and this will kind of merge into our next topic, which is impact and takeaways. This is a perfect mix of Jallo and Super. Supernatural, where Argento's kind of the artoir of all of those things. Well, both of those things. And he is the master of the supernatural films like with Suspiria, but also of these slashery jally film with like with Deep Red. So this is really a film where he didn't have his brother's dad there to kind of put him in a box or really limit him to say, hey, that's probably a bad idea. He kind of just went balls out. And luckily, everything kind of clicked here and he was able to merge both of these subgenres that he was just total master of and create a truly unique film. Now, this ranks 
ranks top five for me in Argento films. I think I did my ranking not too long ago. Uh, it's it's just such a unique film in his filmography that I think that it just stands out. Yeah, I, I love it. I watched it for the first time not too long ago, and it's just kind of really stuck with me ever since because of just how unique it is. And to kind of talk more about that uh, Alice in Wonderland thing, uh, you guys did notice uh, Michelle Sovey actually has a cameo in it whenever uh, Geiger first comes and the inspector that is with him at the beginning of the film in the background. That's actually Michelle Sovey, who would direct a film called The Sect, which actually features Kelly Curtis, which is the sister of Jamie Lee Curtis. And that film has super heavy Alice in Wonderland themes to the point where she follows a white rabbit around. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that, yeah, that's probably, we'll talk about that at another time. And another little factoid about that, that that film, The Sect, was originally released as a demons film in Italy. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you can tell the, the Alice in Wonderland theme because you get those, those very clear shots you know what i mean like like at the cottage that first yep. cottage like everything's just so bright and everything's just so and it adds to that fairy tale thing that you mentioned yeah, earlier exactly yeah. exactly and then you know once she goes down the rabbit hole per se mm-hmm. which you could really say happens when she has that first sleepwalking incident mm-hmm. you know then everything just kind of you get that dark lighting and you know, you get that blue lighting as well. So yeah, very, very heavy on the Alice in Wonderland per se. And there's something to be said about a director that, well, not just director, but a father that takes his daughter and beheads her in the first 10 minutes yes. of a film. That is, uh, okay. Within the context of Argento, is this the worst thing he's done to his kids on film? Absolutely not. If you watch the Stenthal Syndrome, it'll make your stomach queasy. But this is just so tastefully done. And I think that with Argento's case, at least with his children, especially being in a lot of his films, that they understand the relationship between director and actor and what they need to be in that moment. So I think that where people can be like, oh, well, he did this to his kid. You can look at it this way, but these are professionals and they should be respected for having that type of mindset and that mentality about filmmaking. Because I think that it's paid off because them working together and them having this understanding of each other really allows for some awesome stuff to be made. I mean, and then working with your kids too. I mean, that's got to be great. You yeah. know, I, I I work with my kid every once in a while when he comes on investigations with us and, you know, working with your kid is one of the greatest things. And then if you can forever capture that on film, regardless of if you're yeah. beheading your kid or not, it's still, you got to work with your parents. You're immortalizing that moment forever now. Exactly. Exactly. Brody, anything you want to say? No, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Oh, are we talking about impact take? Yeah. Or? Oh, sorry. So, yeah. In, yeah. So, I basically had here in my notes. Um, you know, it's a film that you know it's got that supernatural presence with mm-hmm. Jennifer, but it also deep dives into the slasher genre, a bit like what you said before. But you know, I think introducing these American actors definitely helped market this film by a massive amount. And and to add the chimpanzee to the film, even though he didn't need to be there, I mean, like he's a great addition to the story. So you could have took his that monkey out and still had the film play out. Just, definitely adds know. to the memorable aspect aspect of it though because you're Absolutely, like oh the movie yeah. where the monkey kills the girl at the end like <laughs> yeah and i mean because we get that fucking fantastic ending like yeah. i said it's one of the most batshit things i've ever batshit crazy things i've ever seen but, but you do mon- make a good point actually, the monkey actually has a character arc in this film yeah you know yeah. he comes full circle at the end when he gets his revenge so that's what argento does best about his characters i find like you really fucking get invested with them so when they die even the ones that are off screen and come into screen to be murdered, I mean, you actually feel for them. You're like, fuck, well, I really wanted to know more about them as well. Like, it's the way that they're introduced. All of a sudden, someone's come into the screen with a fucking slasher after him. I mean, uh, uh, sorry, a killer after him, you know, and, and he 
conjures that up with this, like, as I said, fantastic lighting, the scene plays out. But yeah, he's definitely full of flavor and you never know what you're going to get with Argento and his films. And strangely enough, they work as their own. Um, I only wish I had seen this film earlier. Um, so after seeing this film, I dare say that I'll be having an Argento binge, which is sussing. I really wanted to know, though, what is your top five Argento films, Mr. Bowser? Okay. So, so we did this with the uh, amusement park and let's see here. So currently my top five Dario Argento films are number one, Suspiria 1977, Deep Red 1975, number three, Tenebre 1982, number four, Phenomena 1985, and number five, Sleepless 2001. Very nice. Very nice. Just gives me something to actually go ahead and watch now, mate. Uh, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, people, I might get shit for putting Sleepless and Phenomena so high up there, but I just really enjoy them. And if anybody who knows me uh, understands the profound impact that the film Sleepless had on me, especially the score, uh, and that that will all be revealed once uh, you guys see the trailer for our short. But yeah, I think that definitely some of his later work is unappreciated uh, with films like uh, Sleepless and The Card Player and Mother of Tears, especially. So boys, let's rate this son of a bitch and we're going to rate this straight razor wielding chimpanzees out of five. Brody Kane, what you doing? I'm going to give it a 4.4. 4.4. Steve? 4.5 for me. And I'm going to give it a four. And that is a LCE score of 4.3 out of five for 1985's Phenomena from Dario Argento. So for the next episode, we head back down under for Mad Max to the Road Warrior. Brody? Oh yeah, that's going to be a fucking fun episode. So I'll tell you that much. So please, please stay tuned for that. Um, it's going to be one hell of a ride back down this way. Our introduction Hopefully to Lord the, Humongous. Yes, the uh, Australian Jason Voorhees. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, re- I'm really keen to talk about this film. I mean, it's it's loved pretty much everywhere around the world, so not just here. It's pretty much what, you know, set Australian cinema to high standards after that film. Absolutely. I mean, very keen to talk about it. Fucking A. So I hope you guys enjoyed our review of that. 1985's Phenomena and come back for even more great content coming very, very soon. I am the pod boss, TJ Bowser, signing off. This is your doppelganger, Kangabanger, all the way from down under saying, I'll catch you next week, motherfuckers. This is your host with the ghost saying, see you later, bitches.